I want to introduce our guest tonight. It's Chris Gore. He has a worldwide ministry equipping and training the saints. In fact, one of the first things I, when Chris and I talked, that was really the objective of his heart was to equip the saints. Not, he's not here to be God's man of faith and power, even though he is. Uh, he's here to equip you to be God's man and woman of faith and power so you can do the work of the ministry that Jesus is, is a longing to equip his church to do. And um, Jesus said, even as the Father sent me, so send I you. Then he added something else that is almost unbelievable. He said, and those who receive you, receive me. So tonight, I would like for you to receive the Lord when He ascended on high. He gave gifts to men and women. And we have that a person who is a gift. And He's going to deposit something in all of us as we receive from Him as if we're receiving the Lord. So with no further ado, Chris, why don't you come on up? Let's give him a big hand. God bless you, brother. Well, hey, good evening. It is a joy to be with you tonight, and thank you, Pastor. We are, we are from New Zealand, as Pastor has said, and, uh, and we've been here 16 years leading the healing ministries at Bethel Church and for, for the last 14, and uh, just through a set of circumstances uh, we just really felt like the Lord is beginning, was beginning to place New Zealand back on our heart and telling us, you know, I had a little fight with him about it. How many you know you can, you can discuss these things with the Lord, <laughs> you know? So there's some negotiation going on, <laughs> and I, I did not want to go back, and, uh, but I just really felt like he was drawing us back to the, to the country. And, and that actual, that night I went to bed, and I had quite a profound dream in the night, and in the dream in the night, I actually dreamt that the Lord told me that he wants me to go on a journey, and it's to go from destination A to destination B. And I said to God in the dream, I said, God, I don't, I don't want to go on that journey. And he asked me, he didn't say where destination B was, but he said, he just wants you to go on this journey. And I said, God, I don't want to go on that journey. And he said, why don't you want to go on that journey? And I said, because I, I'm really tired. I said, the road's really windy. The road's really dark. And I said, and you're sending me on a motorcycle, and I don't know how to ride a motorcycle. <laughs> and, uh, and so after some negotiation, I said I'd go, because I, I really do believe that, that obedience is important. And we, we may end up talking about that tonight. But I really do believe obedience is important. So I said, God, I'll go. So I got on my motorcycle, and I started off on my motorcycle journey and, and on the dark and windy road. And as soon as I started up the motorcycle, and as soon as the motorcycle started to move, I fell asleep on the motorcycle and I woke up halfway through halfway through the journey, not physically, but in the dream, I woke up and I said, God, I said, if I haven't crashed and gone off this road, you must be steering my motorcycle. And in an audible voice, the Lord said to me, I'm steering your motorcycle in this season. And I replied, well, if you're steering my motorcycle, I'm going to get back on and go to sleep. And I got back on the motorcycle, went to sleep and I woke up in New Zealand. And uh, I woke up from that knowing that God had spoken uh, very clearly to us that this was, this was kind of the step and that we, we really needed to go. And, and I, uh, for those that are not aware, I have a, I have a, uh, a nonverbal daughter. That's just another whole message that, that, that cannot, she can say mama and papa. And the next morning I'm, 
I'm sitting with my daughter and she's getting ready to go to a school program and I'm sitting on the end of the bed and I got her changed and she was waiting to go and uh, she's just talking away in her own little language, you know, just sort of babbles away and just, you know, babbles away nothing, you know. And I had this thought and the thought was, I wonder if Siri can understand her. I never thought that. I mean, I think it was a God thing. I wonder if Siri can understand her. So I pulled out my phone and I recorded uh, Charlotte's, my daughter's name, I recorded Charlotte speaking into, you know, like a text message to, you know, translate it and text it. And I looked at it and it said, she translated it as, oh God, oh God, oh God, can I go home? <laughs> so I, I'm just, I'm convinced, Pastor, that Siri can be saved. I'm convinced if he can speak through a donkey, he can speak through Siri, right? And uh, there's, there's, hope, there's hope for Silicon Valley, amen? Yeah. So let's, uh, let's jump in. I've got, uh, you know, I've just sort of sitting there at the start of the service kind of pondering. I've got so many things in my heart. And one of the issues for someone like me is that I, I'm a builder, right? And uh, so I love to build over a series and take, take a church on a journey, so this is not, it's not necessarily my strength in doing, doing a one-off, you know, because it's like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm going to leave them more questions than I am answers. You know, it's the, the internal dilemma, the, in, the internal dilemma I face with. So I'm going to, um, I'm going to, we'll just, we'll go, uh, I started off coming and thinking I'm going to preach about this. And then I realized, no, I think I, I think I need to do this. So we're going to, we're going to go a certain way. My, my first book, Walking in Supernatural Power, uh, Walking in Supernatural Healing Power is out there. Over COVID season, I, uh, I love to murder big fish. <laughs> I'm not politically correct. I'll just warn you now. I love going big game fishing, and the bigger the fish, the better, and the more blood there is, the more fun. And, uh, I mean, I caught a 1,000-pound fish. Did you believe that? I had a, a two-hour fight with it, and it ended up exploding my, my rod and just broke everything and took my hook. And I'm going back in a few weeks because I want my hook back. <laughs> And uh, at, at the Gulf, and, and I'm, I'm leaving the Gulf of Mexico. We, we, we fish about eight, uh, 60 to 80 miles out in the Gulf, and I'm leaving the Gulf of Mexico to fly home, and I get on the plane at Pensacola Airport to fly to San Francisco, and I had this book in my heart for, for years, and every time I'd go to write it, it's like I'd get a page out, and there'd just be writer's block. You know, it's just like it was in here, but it just wasn't, it wasn't coming out here. You know, it's just, it just wasn't there. And I, I get on this flight to leave uh, from Pensacola, and I sat down, and I always travel with my computer, but I never had my computer with me. I only had my iPad, which I don't, you know, I'm like a woodpecker, you know, I'm, you know on, when it comes to texting. And, you know, so I, I would never write, you know, if you, if you email me and I reply on my iPhone, you know, you're going to get yes, no, maybe, okay. <laughs> that's about all you're going to get. And I sat down on the plane and the Lord said to me in such a clear voice, he said, that book that's been on your heart, you're to write it now. And I said, God, I'm on a plane and I don't write on planes and I don't have my computer anyway. And he said, I, he said, I didn't ask you whether you had your computer. He said, I asked you if you'd write the book now. And I said, oh, okay. So I pulled out my iPad and began to write and I wrote I wrote 25% of the book by the time I landed in San Francisco. I, the lady next to me must have wondered what I was up to. I just did not look up. I, I missed the drink service, the meal service. I mean, I'm just like going for it. Uh, for, it was like five hours. 
and I, I just wrote the entire 25% of it. And by the time I landed, I said to my wife, I'm going to set my goal, myself a goal, 4,000 words a day until the book's done. I had finished the book in six days from landing. So it was seven days from landing. Now I left school the day I was 15, right? So that was my English is my worst language. So it was a pretty good achievement. And uh, within 30 days of leaving Pensacola Airport, the book was actually produced, edited, artwork, printed in my hands and out. So this is, uh, this is my latest book. It's called Apprehended Identity, uh, Taking Back What the Church Stole. I, I'm sorry, I mean taking back what was stolen. <laughs> this church didn't steal nothing. I'm just, yeah. So this is, uh, this is really what I wanted to preach tonight, but I really felt not to preach this. I want to preach something else. So that is, that is there. And then probably the most heart-wrenching thing that I ever wrote where I literally cried the whole way through it was a, um, was a book that's uh, it's called The Perfect Gift, Seeing the Child, Not the Condition. And uh, that is out there. This is a most unique book. It's got, it's got videos in the book. It's got uh, these videos in the back. It's about, it really is about special needs children and the ability to give hope to parents to let them know that God wants to heal special needs kids. And we've now seen about 85 children healed of autism over the last, over the last few years of autism and Asperger's. And I actually follow the stories and the lives of eight of those kids. And uh, the, stories, the stories are in here. And uh, this is very, very profound. All right. Let's, uh, let's jump in. And I, I, really have, I really have a lot of thoughts in my heart tonight. And I really, uh, I, there's so many things spinning. So I've got a little, little dilemma going on inside. I'm like, oh, what do, I, what do I bring in and what do I leave out and how long have we got? You know, so if you're done before I am, feel free to go. It says in, it says in Hebrews uh, chapter 1, verse 3, it says that he is the exact representation of the Father. He is the exact representation of the Father. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He is the exact representation of the Father. See, how, how, many of us, how many of us want to know what the Father looks like? It wasn't a trick question. It should be all of us, right? We want to know what the Father's like. But according to Hebrews 1.3, if you want to know what the Father's like, you just need to look at the person of Jesus. Because in the person of Jesus, we see the perfect representation of the Father. If you want to know what the Father's like, you look at the person of Jesus. And when you look at the person of Jesus, you see in the person of Jesus that he never blessed a hurricane and never welcomed an earthquake. We see in the person of Jesus that he never put sickness upon someone to develop their character. What we see in the person of Jesus is every hurricane he came into, he calmed, and every storm he quieted, and every sick person that came to him, he healed, and every funeral he went to, he messed it up, including his own. See, G Jesus, Jesus needs to be our role model for ministry. Jesus is our supreme and our only role model for ministry. Now, now I, I have many spiritual fathers in my life. And I don't see this in, in a dishonoring way. Please, please bear with me. I have very, very many spiritual fathers in my life. Randy Clark, which I believe you, you know in this area, he's a spiritual father. I'm going to be with him next week. Bill, Bill Johnson is a spiritual father in my life. They're not my role models. 
the people I look up to, the people I love, the people that love me, the people that are allowed to speak into me, the people that I would allow to discipline me, right? the, the people that I, I would imitate, but they're not my role model because Jesus is the only one that came to the, where the people came to him and everyone that came to him without exception was healed. I, I was, last week I was speaking in Switzerland. This is a great day, you know, because I've got to travel so much more in the last year and I haven't got any jet lag. It's been incredible. I can just do it all from my office over Zoom. Have a nice shirt on and shorts underneath. And <laughs> I, can, I, can finish in, I can finish in Switzerland and half an hour later I can be in Singapore or something. It's incredible. It's like, yeah. And while I'm speaking in Switzerland, a student says to me, I'm speaking on Jesus as our supreme role model. And the student says to me in the chat room, on the chat on the side, I could see the side, she said, she kind of mocked me and she said, but not even Catherine Coleman achieved that. Now, I'm, I'm not politically correct. I mean, I just kind of like, it's probably why I, I don't want to be a pastor. <laughs> I just want to be a friend of Jesus. I, I turned immediately and I said, but Catherine Coleman wasn't my role model. I only have one role model, and his name's, his name's Jesus. Now, I, I've been in the healing ministry now for 26 years. Trust me, the first, the first 10 years, you probably didn't want to know me because I can pretty much assure you that if I prayed for you in the first 10 years, you'd probably die the next day. You know I mean, it really wasn't going too well. It was an unhealing ministry or something. I was doing something wrong, you know. And I, I'm, thankful, I'm thankful that things changed. If, if Jesus is our role model, I'd like, to, I'd like to propose to you, this is not the prime piece of my message tonight, I, I'm going to go somewhere in a few minutes. If Jesus is our, is our supreme role model, then I'd like to propose to you that the laying on of hands wasn't Jesus' primary anointing. He couldn't do many miracles in Nazareth except where he laid hands on a few. I, I believe that Jesus' primary anointing was oneness with the Father. It was, it was union with the Father. That when Jesus walks into a room, things begin to shift because Jesus walked in. The, the woman with the issue of blood touched the hem of the garment of Jesus and was healed. Jesus didn't stop the healer. I think Jesus stopped to get the testimony. What would happen if we became so possessed by, um, I'm sorry if that word offends you, if it does, obsessed. What would happen if we became so obsessed by Jesus because Jesus says, I am the Father and one, and I am in you. What, what would it look like if we became more aware of our union with him, that we're actually one with him, that when we walk into a room, that we can actually expect things to begin to happen, because separation from the Lord is an illusion for the life of the believer. If you think as a believer that you're separated from God, that's a vain imagination that needs to be cast down. 
we're, we're, actually, we're actually one with him. That, that separation from God is actually an illusion. It's not, it's not about whether you feel it or not. I'm not the greatest feeler, but I am a believer. And we're not called to be believers. We're called to be believers. And when, when we come back to this place of the simplicity of the gospel, we will begin to permeate the presence of Jesus. Scholars, scholars tell us that the demoniac in Mark 5 had influence over 10 cities. How much more influence over cities can we have by carrying an atmosphere of Jesus. That we become so aware of him. John 15, it says, I am the vine, you are the branch. I just, I'm trying to stretch your thinking a little bit tonight. I'm the vine, not, not me, Jesus talking. I'll make that clear. <laughs> I am the vine, you are the branch. Why, why do we try so hard to become something that Jesus said we already are? See, the branch is not, the branch is not tied to the vine. Right? It's, not, it's not nail gunned to the vine. It's not staple gunned or sellotaped. Or, right? we're, not, we're not tied to the vine. We're actually engrafted into the vine. That the, that the vine and the, the branch became one. I, I don't know if you realize this, but if you ever look at grapevines, the, where's the fruit grow? On the branch. We're actually the fruit-bearing part of the tree, if you want to call it. Not that a grapevine is a tree, but we're actually the fruit-bearing fruit bearing part of the tree. So, so what if... What if we use faith to recognize, rather than using faith for healing, what if we used faith to recognize the one that lives in us and the one that we live in? And not just who we are, but whose we are. So I, I went through the season of, I, well, it's a continuous season, right? It's, I don't necessarily believe in seasons, so I'm saying this season I came into that I, I don't think I'll ever grow out of. I came into the season where I thought, if Jesus could heal people because they came into his atmosphere, then surely if we became obsessed by Jesus, the one that lives in us, that we could see the same results. Are you with me? So I, I, began, to, I began to ponder on, I'd, I'd shift my attention. I'd shift my attention of, by trying to get somebody healed, right, to simply recognizing the one that lives in us. And uh, a couple of years ago, I shared this testimony with the staff this afternoon, but a couple of years ago, I, I'm an introvert, right? I am quite an introvert, not necessarily in the platform, um, but one on, you know, it's like off the platform, I'm, I'm quite a shy guy. And uh, so, I, and I fly a lot. So um, 2019, I flew 350,000 miles before COVID in the year, Right? I'm, I spend a lot of time on planes, just an immense amount of time. 
And so when I get on a plane, I, I really don't like to talk to people. I, I love them. I just don't like them all the time, especially on the plane. Right? I want to like I want to dial out and just be by myself and regroup and just you know just be by myself and watch a movie or just dial out and do nothing. And I, I'm sitting on this plane. I'm flying from Vienna, Austria to uh, Frankfurt, Germany, and I I'm in the middle seat. And a lady comes in from the back of the plane and she sits beside me and I honestly don't remember her coming in. I remember sort of someone sitting there but I was kind of dialing out and having a little nap or something. And uh, we take off and it's only a short flight. It's about an hour and 20 flight. And the flight, we're about 10 minutes from landing and she turns to me and she says, were you in town on business? And I said, yes. And she said, what do you, what do, you do for a profession? Now, I, I never tell anyone I'm a pastor because people think as a pastor you're going to call them out on their sins, right? That's not the role of a pastor. It's not the role of a father. That's another message. <laughs> and I said, yes, and she said, what do you do? And I said, I'm a, I'm a public speaker and an author. And she said, what do you, what do you write on? And I said, I, I was looking for a reaction, right? So I said, the paranormal. And she goes, wow, interesting. And I, I knew at that point I had her. You know what I mean? I, she, she took my hook, line, and sinker. I mean, she just swallowed the whole lot. And I'm like, I, I, I got her, you know. So I, I waited a few minutes, and I said, were you in Vienna on business? And she said, yes. And I said, what do you do? And she said, I'm a, um, an investment banker. I said, really, what, uh, what kind of investment banking do you do? And she said, I'm a merchant, uh, a merchant investment banker. And I said, where do you live? And she said, I, I live in Chicago. And I said, who do you work for? And she said, I, I don't currently work because I've been involved in a work-related accident and I lost my job as a result. And I said, oh gosh, what happened? And she said, I walked into the office one day, I slipped on ice, flipped upside down, and on the way down, at a somersault in the year, and on the way down, I hit my head on the edge of a table on the right, right here. And she said, I've ruptured every single disc in my back. Every single one is blown out. She said, I've had one major surgery and I'm scheduled for another one in about three weeks in Chicago. I'm returning for that surgery. Now I said to her, I turn and I say, ouch, it must hurt. I'm a man of few words, but they're intentional. Ouch, it must hurt. And she said, yes, yes, they hurt. And I said, "Uh, do you mind if I try something? And she said, she looked at me with with great fear. And I, I said, it's okay, I am a physician's assistant. <laughs> my, my team gave me a, a gift, it's my bag down there, and on the label it says, International Physician's Assistant. <laughs> and I said, it's, it's, it's okay, I said, I, I promise you I'm not going to adjust you, but I said, we just want to rest a hand on you. And she said, okay. I said, you're, you're hurt, right? And she goes, from the top of my head, right down my spine, right down my leg, my leg's dead, right to the bottom of the sole of my foot. She said, I'm in immense pain. And I said, all right. I said, I won't hurt you, I promise. Rest your hand on her shoulder. What, what am I doing? Practicing my union with God. This is not some weird thing. It's just recognizing how much he actually loves people. It's recognizing how much he loves me, how much he loves. God actually wants the person healed greater than you want them healed. 
I, I'm contemplating in my heart, John 15, I am the vine. Father, I'm just sitting there thinking, Father, I thank you that I am a fruit-bearing part of the branch, of, of the vine. Thank you, Jesus. I'm contemplating on Galatians 2.20. It's no longer I that lives, but it's Christ that lives in me. By the way, healing's only difficult when you think it's about the I in you. There's no I in the life of the believer because through salvation, the I became we because he took up possession in you. We become, we become one. Right? So it's just like a five-second thought process. I'm sitting there. I'm not looking at her, and she, she's kind of looking around, and I just got my hand on her shoulder, and I'm just, you know, take the hand off, and I said, how's that? And she goes, who are you, and what did you just do to me? And I said, why, what, what just happened to you? And she said, two things just happened. The first is I'm covered in goosebumps, which I didn't say this to her, but I think that's just the non-Christian term for recognizing the presence of Jesus on us, right? I said, she said, I'm covered in goosebumps. And I said, and what's the second? And she said, something. She said, this is hard to explain to you. She said, something just lifted off me. She said, I felt something lift off me. And I said, do you want some more of that? And she goes, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> And goes on there again, and I just repeat the process of just recognizing my union I have with the Lord. I said, how's that? And she goes, well, she said, I can tell you this is the first time I've been pain-free since the day of my accident, but I can't test it until we land. Now, we land five minutes later. I forgot about it. Right? She stands up. She leaves the plane. I'm behind her because I'm in the middle row on the right-hand side. She's on my left. She goes out first. I follow her. And we get to the plane door, and she says, Chris, and I'm like, uh-huh. She goes, see that wheelchair at the gangway waiting for me? Uh, see that wheelchair? Uh-huh. She goes, it's mine. That's what I live in. She said, that's how I came into the plane, if you didn't see. And I said, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't. She goes, that's how I came into the plane. She said, I don't need it anymore. Thanks very much, and walks off. I'd flown from there to Japan, and this is, this is one of my favorite stories because my, my heart is, is that we would make the supernatural so easily accessible that I think if I got to rewrite the walking in supernatural healing power, I'd call it taking the weird out and putting Jesus back in. It's the, the, the gospel has to be simplified. I think that we've got way over complex with it. We have to simplify the gospel and come back to the simplicity of the gospel. I fly to Japan, and while I'm in Japan, the, the pastor who's become a very good friend of mine, he used to be a very, very successful businessman. He's a very, very wealthy man, very wealthy. Right? He's, in, he's in the B club. Right? And he says to me, get in the car. I'm going to take you out a special treat tonight. And I, I didn't know where he was taking me, but I was excited. He knows I like, he knows I like good quality meat. So he drives me across Tokyo, and we pull into a, we pull up the front of this restaurant into the parking lot, and I saw the sign on the door, and I knew I was in for a treat. I really knew I was in for a treat when my eight ounce steak, my eight, my eight ounce steak was six hundred US dollars. Right? It's, it wasn't church money paying for it. it was, this one made that clear. It was like revival on a plate. <laughs> I'm, 
I'm, I'm sitting there and I ordered a 100 gram one. He doubles it to a 200 gram, right? And so I get this 200 gram steak. And, he, and the, the waiter walks in, right? It was a very private restaurant. Three of us eating. We had three waiters and two chefs for the three of us in a private room. And we're sitting in this restaurant and I hear the Lord say, would you, would you ask him to join you in the giving thanks for the food? Obedience. Right? Now, I, I'm not an evangelist, but I am going to obey. I do the work of an evangelist. We all do the work of an evangelist. Even if you think, well, I'm not an evangelist, we're called to do the work of an evangelist. So I'm going to obey. I, I'm so nervous in the restaurant because I'm not an evangelist and that's kind of not the thing I do. I'm actually more interested in eating my steak than saying grace for someone that I don't know. That I, I reach up and I, I hold his hand before I ask him if we can say grace. I got it all around the wrong way, right? We're holding hands and he looks at me. This is, this is Japan, right? They're very conservative people, you know? He looks at me. And I, I, could, I could tell he was reading my, you know, he's, he's reading my mind. He's like, <laughs> if I could read his mind, it would, he would have had a little sign on there that said, why are you holding my hand? <laughs> and if he could have read mine, I would have said, I'm from California, it's normal. <laughs> I'm holding his hand and he goes, um, I said, oh, I'm sorry. I said, um, would you just join us in the giving thanks for the food? And he goes, um, sure. And I just prayed the short prayer. Father, thank you for this. I want to eat my steak, right? But I'm going to be obedient. So Father, thank you for this food. It was just a real quick grace. Thank you for the restaurant. Thank you for this, this waiter. And just pray your blessing will be upon this place. And my arm starts getting pulled, like violently hard, right? It, it wasn't me shaking it. or he shaking my hand, right? And I open one eye, and he's, and he falls under the table. And he starts crying, like, really loud. Really, like, he's sobbing under the table, like, howling like a baby under the table. Now, I'm all embarrassed because I think he's going to lose his job because we're in this very expensive restaurant, and I've killed the waiter. You know, he's, he, he's just, he's crying so loud. And I didn't know what to do. So I just prayed a little longer. Right? And I look at the pastor, my Japanese pastor Isaac, I look at the pastor as if to say, is this normal in Japan? <laughs> and he gives me the look back that said, you did it, you fix it. <laughs> right? I, the waiter's under the table. Like, I mean, I'm literally, he is just screaming under the table. And uh, so I just prayed a little longer while I tried to work out my strategy, what to do. I finished the prayer, and he's now kneeling beside me, sobbing. And I said, bless you, friend. Bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. Uh, you know, I made sure I said a nice, loud amen to the prayer. Amen. You know, like, bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. In other words, go away. I want to eat my steak. And he walks to the kitchen, and you hear him cry the whole way to the kitchen. And I turn to Pastor Isaac, and I go, Pastor, I said, uh, what, 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 what do we do now? And he goes, I don't know, but you better think quick because he's back right now with my steak and he's standing there. And I turn and I say to this waiter, excuse me, my friend. I said, um, um, my name's Chris. I said, is there something you need prayer for? 
And he erupts in, into tears and he said, well, there is. He said, my wife can't conceive after six years of trying. And I'm like, uh-huh. I said, well, let's just, let's take care of that. And I said, come here. And he comes around back to my left and he kneels down beside me and I said, it's really okay. I said, do you know that babies are God's idea? And he goes, how do you know that? I said, because the Bible says. He said, go forward and multiply. Just to prove I'm not politically correct, it actually doesn't say go forward and subtract. Just adding a point in there. It says, go forward and multiply. I said, it is okay because your desires are actually his desires. What are yours desires? And he goes, I want a baby. I'm like, a little bit unto you. I said, peace to you. And then I looked at him and he's because he's crying and he's, you know. And I said, listen, I just got one comment to make. I believe in the Immaculate Conception, but not for you. Get out of here. Come on, you do know how babies are made, right? <laughs> he walks me to the restaurant door and he goes, would you just hug me? And I'm like, of course I will. And I, I embrace him and he, and he just bursts into tears again. And I said, my friend, it's going to be okay. It is going to be okay. Peace to you. What am I doing? Practicing my atmosphere. I said, here's my Facebook page. Send me photos when the baby's born. Nine months later, baby was born. It's fun. I, he's on my Facebook feed, you know. I see the little, this little boy. I've seen he's probably four now. I've seen this little boy growing up. I feel like I'm the godfather or something. You know, it's like <laughs> seen this little boy growing up. It's so cute to watch him. I, they post little videos of him regularly doing little boy things. I just you know, jumping in puddles and you know, just jumping off the couch. And it's like, oh my gosh. See that morning, I haven't started preaching yet. <laughs> I haven't got to quite where I want to get to. That morning. I'm on the way to church in Tokyo in a taxi. And the traffic, they had road construction. And the traffic was immensely busy. And I, the pastor said, we, I think we need to walk from here, otherwise we're going to miss the start of the conference and where you're speaking. You know? And I'm like, okay, let's walk. He said, it's only like half a mile or something. It wasn't far. And I said, great. And we're walking to, to church and we walked past a coffee shop. And I'm a, I'm a coffee snob, right? I, I've got a very high standard for coffee. So there's, there's certain shops that I won't drink coffee from. Okay? Uh, I'm not telling you where they are, but the shop's green. <laughs> we pass a green shop. I don't want coffee 
because I knew that they don't make good coffee, but they do have food, and I want food. I'm really, really hungry. I walk up to the window to look in the window to see if they had food, and I, I, can't, I can't see through the window because it's mirrored glass. So I come right up to the window like this. I put my eyes on like this to look into the window right up against it. And there's a bar on the other side of the window <laughs> with a lady on the other side, and she's about that far away from me, and I'm looking right into her eyes in the middle of Tokyo. And I'm, I'm the introverted guy, right? So I, I pull back and I said, oh, Pastor Isaac, I said, this is very embarrassing. And he said, what is very embarrassing? I said, there's a lady on the other side. And he goes, so? And I'm like, no, like on the other side. Like I'm looking at her in the eyes, eyes to eyes. And I said, it would, it would be so embarrassing if she thought I was checking her out. I said, I've got to go inside and fix that. And he goes, okay. He said, I come. I translate if you need translation. And I said, she's, she's white. She's a white woman. She ain't Japanese. You know, just because you're white doesn't mean you speak English. But... And he goes, okay, I come. I walk into the restaurant, I, uh, the, the green shop. I walk up behind her and I tap her on the shoulder and said, excuse me, ma'am. And she turns and she goes, wow. She said, it's Chris Gore in Tokyo. Now I'm really embarrassed, right? Because now I don't think that I'm checking. She, now I don't think she thinks I'm checking her out. I think that she thinks that Chris Gore's checking her out, you know? And I said, oh, I'm really sorry about that. And she goes, no, it's okay. She goes, but I can't have babies. Can you pray for me? She said, I've had six miscarriages in a row. She said, I can't cope with the emotional grief of having another miscarriage. And I said, babies are God's idea. I said, peace to you. It's going to be okay. There's no prayer. Peace to you. Nine months later, on the return to Japan, as I land, I turn on my cell phone and a photo downloads from the lady in Australia with the photo of the baby. She was, by the way, she was a New Zealander that lived in Australia that was doing a skiing holiday in Japan with the brother. He broke, the he broke his foot. He's in hospital getting attended to. Why? She goes, I've got nothing to do all day except drink coffee here until he's got discharged to go home. My husband's in Australia. Right? And that's how she knew me because she's from New Zealand. That's just like so divine, right? God would just orchestrate that. See, if there's only one thing I could teach on tonight, it would be union with God. I, I, want, I want to challenge us that we have to think differently about the Father. He, Hebrews 34, it says, come, come magnify the Lord with me. It's a scripture we all know, right? Come magnify the Lord with me. What does that mean? How, how do you magnify an ant? Right? You put a magnifying glass on it, right? And it becomes bigger. Right? Come magnify the Lord with me. You make it bigger. I, I don't know if you've worked this out, but the psalmist is actually telling us something that's impossible to do. Because we can't make God any bigger than he already is. Therefore, we're the ones that have to change our perspective of how big he already is. 
And when we begin to change our perspective of how big God is, that he's actually bigger than any problem I've ever met. I, ha I haven't yet met a problem that's bigger than Jesus, but yet do we elevate the problem bigger than Jesus and we wonder why we have a problem? We, we rate the miracle on how difficult we think it is. Oh, that's a sore finger. That's an easy one. Oh, you're terminal and you're going to die? I need to pray hard. I was in Malaysia about four years ago, just prior to COVID, about a year, about a year maybe two years before COVID. Do you have those photos ready? D don't put it up yet. Put up the nasty one first, right? But not yet, but in a minute. See, how big do you think your God is? I, I, I want, I, I'm, we need a transformation of the mind. Religion doesn't get people healed, Jesus does. So I'm in the island of Cebu, which is, uh, one, I think it's the East Island of Indonesia. And there's a lady come that night, and, and we, we said, I, I said, look, we're going to minister, we're just going to minister the terminally ill tonight. There's a conference, there's lots of opportunities for ministry. I said, we're just going to minister to the terminally ill. I said, if you're terminally ill, which means that without breakthrough, the doctor said, you're going to pass. Right? I'm not talking about a long-term condition, I'm talking about you're going to pass. I said, you come to the front. Seven ladies came to the front. We ministered all seven ladies. The church just gathered around them. Zechariah, the prophet, says, with shouts of grace, grace, the mountain shall be removed. I mean, they're just declaring grace over these ladies. All seven got doctor confirmation that every single one of them, the cancer is gone. Now, one lady, I got seven pages of doctor's reports. All right? Most of it was in... Indonesian language. Oh, I'm sorry, not Indonesia, it was Malaysia. Most of it was in Malay. Right? But there's only one thing I understood on in English. It said, tumor is no longer seen. The week before we get there as a team, she goes to the doctor and she's diagnosed because she's bleeding internally. She goes to the doctor and they did an internal scope. Now, if you don't like, my last name is Gore, right? I'm... <laughs> I really like details, right? So you're going to get some details. If you can't handle details, just close your eyes for a second. I want you to put up that nasty photo. This is the internal scope of her bowel. Okay, everything you see here, she has a, uh, she has a tumor in her descending colon that's stretched over six inches. Everything you see there is actually, is actually rotten, it's infectious, it's cancerous, and they've given her just a matter of weeks to live. It's about a week before I got there. She gets this. Doctor says, go home, get your affairs in order. There is nothing we can do. You're going to pass soon. There's no treatment available. You're going to pass. Friday night of the same week, she comes to the conference. I think it actually shows the date on there. It says, uh, there is the, the, it's the 1st of June. They do it the other way around. 2018? Yeah, it's an eight. First of June, two thousand and eighteen. She goes to the doctor. Gets this. She goes back to the doctor. 
there is the 25th of June to have another scope. The doctor says, you've got a brand new bowel. Everything's brand new. So this is the same scope looking from the top down. That's the descending, that's the descending uh, intestinal, the, the dark spot. That's the, that's the descending colon. Right, so it's looking at the entrance, what you were looking at the entrance before with infection and cancer completely cleared. They declared over her that you have the bowel of a newborn. Everything's brand new. And I, I want to I challenge us tonight because it's the renewed mind that reveals the glory of God. Right? I'm not quite going where I thought I was going to go, but it's, it's the renewed mind that reveals the glory of God. But yet, most of us, like myself, were raised in religion. And we wonder why we don't see the demonstration of the power of God in our lives and through our lives, because we've actually pulled this down to our experience, as opposed to lifting our experience to the Word of God as Jesus, as our supreme role model, Hebrews 1 verse 3. Are you guys okay? See, I, I have to wonder, I, I, these are the things I contemplate on, it's like, why do, people, why, do, why do some people miss their miracle, right? This is a generalized statement. Why, why do some people miss the miracle? I think that we often miss the miracle for one of two reasons. We, we miss the miracle because we don't understand the heart of the Father, We'd never need to discuss the theology of healing if we had a revelation of the heart of the Father. If we actually knew what God was like. But yet we've created God in our own image rather than what this says about him. And we wonder why we miss it. Right? That's another whole message. You can see why I've got a problem in doing one-off meetings. I'm like, I've got... Could go that way or that way, or but here's a thought. I wonder if we miss miracles because of bad theology. Right, theology is important to me. I I love to study theology. I love to read. I could talk theology, particularly around healing, for days on end. About two years ago, I got asked to go to San Diego to minister to a friend. It was, it was a very, very wealthy friend. That their house was twenty thousand square feet. It was unbelievable. I'm in the in-law unit. The in-law unit is larger than my house. Like I had twenty-five hundred square foot in-law unit out the side, and it was just it was some private ministry. And they said. We're going we're gonna to bring in some people and we want you to minister to four of our friends. That was the whole purpose of the trip. I'm sitting in, I'm sitting in the meeting and I'm in my in-law unit. And the first lady comes and they said, um, your first, our first guest is here. And we're sitting outside around this fire pit. And I, I walk outside to meet this lady and the Lord says to me, if you bring her, bring her into an alignment with my word, she'll be healed. What does that mean? Bring her into an alignment with my word. So, okay, so I just do what I think I should do is bring her to the best of my ability into her alignment with the word. 
And I said, hello, my name's Chris. And she told me her name. And I said, so, you know, what do you do? And I, I, I can tell you what she, do, what she does. I just can't tell you who she worked for. Right? She's a presidential executive assistant. Right? Not, not for the current one. Or the one before that. Or the one before that. Or the one before that. <laughs> that one. And I said, wow. I said, why are you here? And she said, five years ago, Chris, she said, I was driving my car in LA down the freeway and I think it was the alternator went out and the car stopped. And she said, I pulled the car over to the side of the road and I lift the hood up and I put the stick in. And I put my head in to try and work out what, if I could see something that's broken and the stick snapped. And she said, the hood jammed my head to the block. She said, I haven't known a day without pain, without concussion. And she said, I've now, as an executive PA, retired. She said, I've lost all my ability to read. She said, I look at a page and I just see scrambled letters all over it. I can't put them together. They're all, they're all over the place. She said, I, I cannot read. And I said to her, I turned to her and I said, well, I talked to her about union with God, that we're one with him, all those kind of things that we started off with tonight, we're, we're one with him. And she said, why, why, have, why have I never heard teaching like this? Why doesn't, why doesn't my church teach me that, that we're one with him, that separation is an illusion? Incidentally, let me take a little, little rabbit trail and then I'll come back to that point. About, about three years ago, one morning, I, I don't sleep super well. Like, you know, I've got a daughter that wakes up at all sorts of hours demanding breakfast, and I don't sleep super well, so we normally wake up three or four times every night. And I actually, so one night, it had been a really rough night, and I woke up at uh, about 4 a.m., and I knew that Jesus is in the room. I just knew it. And he's standing there, and he says this to me. It was, like, it was like I could see him, but I couldn't. It was like a vision. Maybe you want to call it a vision. I don't know. I've never had a vision, so maybe that was a vision. And he is standing over me, like looking at me, waiting for me to wake up. You know, like how a father would watch their child sleep, and they're like, oh, you're so cute. And I, and I wake up. And he says to me this. He didn't even say good morning. It was, it was a rough morning, right? It wasn't a morning... I don't know about you, but you know, you wake up and it's like, good morning, Lord. Not that morning. It was like, good Lord, is it morning? <laughs> and I, I wake up and it's like, oh, good Lord, is it morning? And he goes, was I ever decapitated? That's all he said. Was I ever decapitated? You know, that's not a good question for four in the morning. I'm thinking... I, I think it's a trick question, but I'm just not sure, you know. And I'm so I'm, and I cannot remember how Jesus died, right? I'm thinking, was he hung upside down? Was he stoned? Was he, you know, like it's four in the morning? Like, give me some grace, you know. I'm like, God, like I'm thinking. I didn't open my Bible, but I'm racing through, like, Jesus, Jesus, how'd you die? How'd you die? How'd you die? You know, help me, help me, help me. And I turned and I said, Lord, I don't, I don't think so. And he replies, he replies with this. He said, you're right. 
he said, I was never decapitated. He said, I'm the head. You're the body. I never lost my head. He said, everyone that came to me, the body was healed. He said, have fun healing the sick today, and he was gone. He said, because everybody that comes to you should be healed, the body. So I'm talking to this lady about union. The separation is an illusion. And I said, isn't it, isn't it amazing? I said, isn't it amazing that it's God's will to heal you? And she goes, yeah. She said, Chris, I, I know that it's God's will to heal me. I'm thinking, strike one. But it's interesting that the church doesn't believe that. They might think it's God's will to heal the person next to you, but you don't think it's God's will to heal you. Or it's God's will to heal in general, or some believe that, and others will say, Lord, if it be your will, because they don't know as well. But we see in Matthew 7, the leper comes to Jesus and said, Lord, if it be your will. That's where the unbelieving believers take, Lord, if it be your will, from. If it be your will. Did you notice that Jesus never healed the man until the confusion of the question is cleared up? If it be your will is a statement of confusion. Jesus replies and he says, it is my will. Be healed. See, what about the disciples that brought the boy to Jesus and they say, Jesus, we can't, we can't heal the boy. Now, I'd have to teach this differently if Jesus said, well, if you can't, I guess it's not the Father's will. Send him away, try back another day. No, he said, bring the boy to me. Why? Because Jesus is the perfect representation of the Father. And we're his body. And he's in his Father, and his Father's in us, and we're one. He never lost his head. We're still the body. We have to change the way that we think. I didn't, I didn't tell her all this, so I'm telling you this. And she's like, no, I, I, know, I know it's God's will. And I said, let me ask you another question. I said, isn't it, isn't it amazing? I'm trying to find, I honestly think in many people that are not healed, I could talk to them for three minutes and work out the lies they're believing. I said, isn't it amazing that there's no divine purpose in you being sick? And she said, no, there's no divine purpose at all. I mean, here's a thought. I actually just thought this during worship. I turned to pastor and said, it. I said, how does, how does sickness mean to make us like Jesus when Jesus wasn't sick? My Bible says, as he is, so are you to the world. Well, he's not sick. 
isn't there, isn't it amazing? I said, isn't it amazing there's no divine purpose in us being sick? And she goes, no, I know there's no divine purpose in me being sick. But yet half of the church thinks that there's a divine purpose in us being sick. But if we think that there's a divine purpose in us being sick, I just want you to think this thought through for a second. If you think that there's a divine purpose in us being sick, then if you were to go to the doctor to take medication to get your sickness fixed, then you just put the doctor in a position of being rebellious against the will of God. Because surely God has a divine purpose and he's wanting to teach you a lesson. That's why he made you sick. So therefore we shouldn't go to the doctor. We should just sit at home and be miserable. I mean, if we've got a tumor hanging off us and we think that God put that tumor on you to teach you a lesson and you haven't learned your lesson yet, wouldn't we be better to go home and ask for another one to speed up the process of the lesson? We have, to, we have to change the way we think because it's the renewed mind that reveals the glory of God. We all get to heal. And she said, no, there's no, there's no divine purpose in me being sick. I, I completely agree with you. So I'm like, strike two. Just bear with me for a few more minutes and we'll, we'll close. I said, isn't, isn't it amazing that it's not that the timing of the Lord for your healing is now? And she goes, uh-huh. He's a now God, Chris. I said, uh-huh. Strike three. She's in alignment. But we think that when someone's not healed, it must be about the timing. So we say, well, in God's time, you'll be healed. And we push off for tomorrow what we could have had today around bad theology. See, if Jesus... If Jesus is our role model, there's nowhere in Scripture where somebody came to Jesus and said, Jesus, I want to be healed. And he said, it's not my time. Sorry about that. Try back tomorrow. There's actually only one case in Scripture where he was asked to do a miracle and he said, it's not my time to be, to be revealed as the miracle maker. It's about turning the water into wine. He says to his mother, it's not my time to be revealed as the miracle maker. I think mum just gave him the look. Like, he's like, yes, mum. I'll make it my time because he's an obedient son. She says, I know that it's my time. Second Corinthians chapter 6, now is the acceptable time of the Lord. Now is the day of salvation. What, what, what if faith for healing is not about bringing the future into today, it's bringing the past into today, it's called the cross. Because he's not sitting in heaven deciding whether he's going to heal or not. He actually 
decided that 2,000 years ago at the cross. It's about apprehending what's already been paid for. He's not sitting in heaven at a healing meeting thinking, well, I, I'd like to heal you, but it's not my time. You got sin. Can't repeat what I saw you did last night. Can't heal you. It's just not my will for you. It's your night. That's not the heart of the Father because at the cross it was fully paid for. And I, I turned to her and I said, isn't it amazing that it's not about your performance? Now, this is probably the biggest one for the church. I love the way you opened up tonight. Isn't it wonderful that it's, about, it's not about your performance? And she goes, no. She said, I know it's not about my performance. And I'm like, strike four, if that's possible. I'm out. Like, I mean, I've done my best shot. I've brought her into alignment, and she seems like she's in alignment. Most believers think it's about our performance. Stick with me. In the Old Covenant, the high priest had gone to the Holy of Holies once a year. What did he go in for? Pay, pay sins. Pay for the price of the sins of Israel. You better, you better hope that the, the priest has performed well. You better hope that the priest has taken into the Holy of Holies a perfect gift. Um, the Bible doesn't say what happened if the gift wasn't perfect, because I think it always was that I'm aware of. I, I can only assume that if it wasn't perfect, Israel missed their blessing that year. It's interesting that we take the old covenant concept and we pull it into the new covenant and we think it's about our perfection coming into the Holy of Holies. But under the new covenant, our high priest went into the Holy of Holies, pure, sat down and he paid the price once and for all. It's not an annual payment he needs to make. Now let me just let me just add this little bit on. This is really important to me. This is where I started. Obedience. Obedience is important for the life of the believer. I haven't said this for a while, so I want to make sure I say it right. Obedience is important for the life of the believer. I'm not obedient to be blessed. If I'm obedient to be blessed, then I'm performing for my blessing. I'm not obedient to be blessed. I am obedient because I am blessed. I think the other way around, like jumping through the hoops. I, I need to be obedient, I need to do this and I need to do that when I've done it right for enough times and I've fasted enough and I've prayed enough and I've read the Bible enough this week and I've performed, then I may be qualified for my miracle. What's your qualification for your miracle? Your need. Your need. 
if you've got a need, I've got good news for you, you're qualified and you don't need to pay for it because it's already been paid for by the blood of Jesus. And nearly there. Matthew chapter 15. The woman comes to Jesus and she cries out, Son of David, have mercy on me, for my daughter is severely demon-possessed. Do you know what the next verse is? I haven't met a person yet that knows. He answered her not a word. Did you know that? He answered her not a word. Now, that's not the Jesus I'm talking about, that everyone that came to him without exception he healed, but he chose not to answer her. I heard someone preach on this a few years back and said that Jesus never, Jesus didn't answer her a word because Jesus wanted to see how desperate she was before he healed her. I, I got a problem with that. Because if it was our, if it was our desperation, bless that little one, If it was our desperation that got us healed, wouldn't we all be healed? And then I heard someone else say, Jesus never heard her. Well, we know that's not true either by the following verses. Do you know how much that verse bothered me? It bothered me immensely for years, so much so that I was going to cross it out. I'm like, it has to be a mistake. <laughs> and then I read the back of the book and it says, I can't add or take away, so I better put that one back in. <laughs> and I finally got it. Son of David, have mercy on me, for my daughter is severely demon-possessed. Son of David. Who calls him a son of David? Jews. Only the Jews can call Jesus the son of David. She's not a Jew. Therefore, did she come pretending that she was somebody that she wasn't to get something that she wanted? It's called performance. He doesn't want us to come based on our performance. He wants us to come based on his performance. If I can make him think I'm a Jew, then he's going to think I'm a Jew, and I know he was only sent to heal the Jews, so therefore I'm going to get healed because he's going to think I'm a Jew and I'm going to get it. Did you notice she didn't get it? She didn't get it till she came to Jesus and she worships him and she says, Lord, help me. Perhaps the greatest act of humility in our lives is coming exactly as we are. 
not trying to clean yourself up first. Just come in as you are. Lord, help me. I think that's the greatest act of humility in a human life. Is coming to the King of glory just as we are. Because you realize that she didn't get what she needed until she came as she was. And when she came as she was, she left as he is. You know, Randy Clark's been here, right? In the area. I was doing a conference with Randy Clark in New Zealand. Fly to, I fly into Auckland Airport and I go to see my grandparents. My, my grandma's still alive. She's 97, granny of the universe. We still FaceTime. She doesn't remember my name, but it's another story. <laughs> she remembers I've gone grey, but she doesn't remember my name. My grandfather just, just passed away just in the last 18 months. Just divine health all his life to 95. Just heart stopped, boom, dead. It's gone. That's the way to go. I fly into Auckland Airport and I, I'm going to fly to the South Island to see my grandparents. And I had my daughter with me, my youngest daughter, who's, who's 22 now. I go to the the Air New Zealand Lounge. I, I, I spend $50,000 a year with United. I have some privileges. I have some miles. At one point, I had enough free miles to fly 10 times around the world. It's the last thing I want to do on a vacation. My wife wants to go away, and I'm like, I just want to stay home. I go to New Zealand. I fly a lot. I have all these miles and a lot of privileges. And I, and I want to go to the airport lounge to have breakfast, but it's an, in New Zealand airport lounge, and I'm united, but it's Star Alliance, and I don't know my privileges in that club. I know I'm allowed in. I don't know that she is. I, I didn't tell her. I said, Just, we're going to go to the club, and we'll see if we can get in. I walk in, and there's a scanner where you put your boarding pass on, and the light goes green, and the lady says, welcome, Mr. Gore. I'm, I'm in the Million Mile Club. She's like, welcome, Mr. Gore. Come on in. And I go into the club. And I went to say, am I allowed a guest? And I hear the Lord say, don't ask. Walk boldly into the club. Right now, I'm a father. I'm protective of my kids. I, I know it's not the law, but I've got a 45 under my bed. It's not in a safe. It's under my bed. Come near my kids, you're going to wear it. Good 9 mil and a 45. My wife's got the 9 mil, a little easier to handle. I'm very protective of my daughters. I went to say, can my daughter come? The Lord says, don't ask, keep walking. And I went to turn around to fix it, and I hear the Lord say, don't turn around, keep walking. Uh, trust me, I wasn't going to turn around. I know what happens to people that turn around. <laughs> I was going to be the salt on her eggs. <laughs> 
I slow down, right down. And I, I can hear, I can't see because I'm too scared to turn around. I hear her putting boarding pass on the thing and I hear it go, eh. and the lady says, I'm, I'm sorry, young lady, but you do not have access into this club. Now I want to fix it. I just keep walking. And she says, but that's my dad. And the lady says, I am so sorry. I did not know he's your father. Welcome to the club. And I tell you, I learned the lesson of my life. Because it's humility that accesses the kingdom. It's staying close to dad because she didn't get into that club because she flies a lot. She doesn't fly. She didn't get into that club because she has air points. She didn't get into that club because she spends 50 grand a year with the airline. She got into that club because dad spends 50 grand a year and dad spends hours and hours and hours a year in a plane. Dad flies all over the world. Dad does this. It's what dad's paid for. And it's in the same thing. You don't get access to the kingdom and healing because of what you've paid for and by what you've done. You get access to the kingdom by what he's done. And I tell you, that is, I believe that the performance of the body is the largest barrier for us to get over because the church is the, would be the largest performance orientator to try and earn their way into healing. I got good news for you it's a gift. We've got to learn how to receive it. I go back to my, the lady I'm with. And I said, and I turned and I said, I'm, I'm at a loss, right? I'm thinking, she's in alignment. And I just, in frustration, I said, why do you think you're not healed? And she said, that's easy. I should have started there, right? She goes, that's so easy. And I said, why? And she said, it has to be my lack of faith. And as soon as she said it, I knew I had the miracle. I knew it was a done deal. And I said, lack of faith. I said, can I just remind you about the start of the evening? I said, what's your, what's your position as a believer? Where's your identity? And she said, it's in Christ. And I said, didn't we talk about 1 John 4.17, as he is, so are you to the world? And she goes, yes, you did. And I'm like, you show me one place where he lacked faith. She goes, I can't. I said, well, as he is, so are you to the world. What, what, if, what, what, if, what if Jesus is not a mirror? What if Jesus is not a window we're looking in to see who we can become? What if he's the mirror you're looking to see who you already are? What if he's not the unreachable example to compare yourself to but he's the person you look into his eyes to discover your new self. And she's like, oh, Chris, she said, you're messing me up. She said, oh. she said, you're right. She said, can I just have a moment? I'm like, take as long as you want. She goes, I'm just going to practice my union where we started. I'm going to practice my union. And she sits on the couch and she goes, wow. And I, she's talking to herself. She goes, you and I are one, Father. Separation is an illusion. 
as, as you are, so am I to the world. She goes, Father, you don't have concussion. And she goes, whoa. And I'm like, oh, what? And she goes, it just left. And I said, what just left? And she goes, the concussion has just left. She said, I felt it lift off me. Just, we hadn't prayed, right? She goes, it just lifted off me. She said, I felt it leave me. And I said, what is it that you can't do? And she said, I can't read. And I said, really, my Bible was open to, it was open, I opened it to Matthew 7, and I said, read this, thinking she's going to read the first verse. She reads all of 7, all of chapter 7, and all of chapter 8 with an executive presidential voice. It took, us about, it took us about 30 minutes to get through it because I got so many underlines. She'd stop on every one and like, why have you underlined that? What does that mean? We had all these little, little teaching sessions into the, into the underlines. He, she wrote to me a few weeks later, wrote me a letter and thanked me and said that the concussion left that day and never came back. See, what, what would happen... I'm closing. What would happen? See, I even closed my Bible. It's proof. What would happen if we put the simplicity of the gospel back in church? This is the greatest desire I have to put the ease of the gospel back in our lives, to put Jesus back as the center of the church there would actually be a generation of people that arise up that are not obsessed with signs and wonders, but are obsessed by Jesus. That we come back to that place of knowing not just who we are, but whose we are. That we're not trying to produce fruit, but I dream of a generation that would be fruit-bearing not because they tried, but because they abided. John 15. It doesn't say he who tries bears much fruit. It says he who abides bears much fruit. It's not the polished prayer that's to get somebody healed. It's you believing that he is who he says he is. See, who do you think he is? And who do you think you are? Normally that's said in a bad connotation. Who do you think you are? It's like, who do you think I am? I'm at union with the one. I'm at peace with the one. I'm not separated from the one because that would be a vain imagination that needs to be cast down. You guys doing all right? I'm sorry, I only had one shot, so you just got a long piece. <laughs> and you got one message, Pastor, and it's just really, really long. It's just a matter of what piece you get. It's called the gospel. It's really long, and it's actually really, really simple. It should be the normal expression of a believer's life to have their prayers answered. That's, that's another whole message. <laughs> It should be the normal expression of our lives to have our prayers answered. I challenge you and I confront you that if you're not seeing the sick healed, 
do what the disciples did, and take Jesus aside. Begin to begin in private to say, Father, I, I need a greater revelation of my identity. I, I've got that someone came to me today and they didn't get healed, therefore they didn't get you, they got me. Like that's that's gotta bother someone. It really it really needs to bother someone. Because we're his body and he's the head. And he never lost his head, and everyone that came to him was healed. Amen. Let's do this. We'll do some. We'll do some ministry. You might be tired, but I'm in Hubbard's Five in California. I'm just warming up. If if you're here and uh, incidentally, how many people here have had COVID? Yeah, I had it too. I didn't. I know this sounds really bad. I didn't know I had it, and I went to San Francisco and preached while having COVID. I think they I hope this is not being streamed, but I'm a super spreader. I, I honestly didn't know. How many of you that had COVID have lost your smell and not got it back? Just two of you. Oh. We just we did this in the school ministry last last week, right? I think it was last week. There's forty. I think there's forty-two. I think there's forty-two students that have lost their smell and never got it back. I said, "Come to the front." They all came to the front. Within how long? We had like a minute left at the end of the message, right? Forty-one of them got healed, just like that. Only one didn't. Stand up if you've lost your smell. Okay, and even if it's not from COVID, some people just don't have smell, not because of COVID, they just don't have smell. Stand up if you don't have smell. Okay. Does anybody have an orange? The fruit orange in the bag? In your bag, you know, like the round orange fruit? Yeah, can someone grab me an orange? This is the weirdest thing, Pastor. This is so weird. Did you know that I've probably been in, I've honestly probably been in 300 services and asked for an orange? I can honestly tell you it's probably two services out of 300 that no one had an orange. I'm kidding you not. It's like, why do people bring oranges to church? Like, <laughs> I see all the time. It's like, oh yeah, I got one in my handbag. I'm like, why are you going to have a snack in church? You know? Okay, we'll just we'll wait for the orange for a minute. Ah, super. Thank you so much. Okay. Made it look like it was set up, right? It wasn't. I just got faith that someone's going to bring an orange to church. Okay. If if you if you are here and you have a uh, if you have a incorrect curvature in the neck, or you have a, um, a um, like a degenerative disc in the neck, you have you have don't have rotation in the neck, something like anything to do with the neck, you have a metal frame in your neck holding you to piece holding you together, anything like that, stand up. 
If you have a if you have a foreign object in your neck, that's in, you're included. You can stand up. So actually, I was in Nelson at my uncle's church, and I and I'd been out. I'd, New Zealand's known for good fish, right? Probably is here too, right? Because of the coast. We're known for good fish. I go out and eat some smoked fish for lunch, and I it's the night before I fly back to the states, and I get a fish bone that big lodged in my throat right? it was lodged sideways I could feel it and I could feel blood trickling down inside I could just was, right? now I have a choice I can stay behind and have surgery or I can go back to the states and, and miss my flight or I can go back to the states and have surgery and, and <laughs> probably pay 20 grand New Zealand's free right? I decide I'm going to fly home I'll fly home because I just wanted to see my family again. I thought, I'll just fly home. I, I called out this, I want people to stand with foreign objects in their neck. As soon as I said it, it dissolved. I wasn't even calling it out for me. I just called it out, and I just felt it like dislodge and drop. It was like, it's gone. It, it's normal for bodies to be healed in the presence of Jesus. I, I want you to stand if you have a tumor in your body. Any, any, any form of tumor. It's normal, it's normal for tumors to disappear in the presence of Jesus. This is another whole message. The power of the Lord is present to heal. Luke 5, 17. The power of the Lord is always present to heal. It should be normal for bodies to be healed in the presence of Jesus. Okay, let's just start with these people. If you're the, if you're the neck person, would you just raise your hand? Yeah, I, I, want, I want somebody to just go and stand next to, just one-on-one. -on -one. Just someone get out of your seat and go and stand next to someone you didn't come with. Not, not your husband or your wife. And just go one-on-one. -on -one. I don't want a whole bunch of people on. God's, God's not looking for an army, right? He's just looking for one. He's actually just looking for one person. One person that believes that he is who he says he is, I reckon could take this nation. I really do. Okay, this is just, this is just, oh, okay, let's do, the, let's do the smell one too. You can stay there. Stay there with him. He's the smell. And the, the, we've got two at the back there of the smell. We've got two people back there. Okay. Now, now, now just bear with me here. I've got really good news. So sometimes we go to prayer time and it's like we get all serious, right? It's like, I've discovered that it's not a fruit of the Spirit. It doesn't say righteousness, peace, joy, seriousness, patience, kindness, right? So we don't need to like switch into serious mode now, right? Jesus, I've actually discovered that he actually enjoys his people. It would only be polite to turn to them and ask them what their name is, right? Introduce each other. Okay. Now, I think you already know what they're standing for, right? 
I want you, we, we know that this is appropriate, right? But you'd, but if it wasn't, you'd ask, you know, can, can, I put, can I put my hand on you? Right? So just ask them, can I lay my hand on your affected body part, right? We know that it's... Right? Now, if, if it's the nose, right? I just want you to, when I say go, you're just going to touch the nose. When Jesus healed someone, he said, go show yourself to the priest. What was the priest's job? To, to confirm and declare the healing. Who's the priest in the new covenant? You are. He's the high priest. You actually get to decree and declare healing over them. Right? Put your hand on their neck, or put your hand on their neck if it was the neck people. And the cancer people or the nose people, just touch their nose. Now declare it. I want you to just pray the, the simplest prayer. Right? Just declare it. Like, smell be restored in Jesus' name. Neck be loosed in Jesus' name. Cancer be gone in Jesus' name. Okay. Okay, that's enough. Put your hands off them. We've got to make this simple. Okay, if you're the neck people, just begin to test it out. Do something you couldn't have done. Here you go. Would you just, would you just peel that right in front of him? Peel it by his nose. Shut your eyes so it doesn't squirt you. You smell it? Okay. Take the orange to the back. Just put, t touch him on the nose again. Just no, touch his nose. Okay. Just, just say thank you, Jesus, for what you paid for. And we declare him healed. Test him again. He can't smell it either. <laughs> Is it a dead orange? It's not the brightest orange. <laughs> smell that? You smell that? This is like a dried up orange. You smell it? You smell it? Okay, take it to the back. Test those people at the back. Can someone give them a contrast smell? Has somebody got a contrast smell? Some perfume? Or... What happened? Both of you? 
Did you both? Did you both? Both of you? I'm staying in their house. I didn't know that. I didn't. I didn't know that they couldn't smell. Thank you, Jesus. You could smell it way over there. It's amazing. It's amazing. How how the next doing? Wave out if you know. Wave to me if you know something's happening. Yes, 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 yes. You two for next? Yeah, nothing happened yet. Okay. I I just can I'm going to teach my way through this. The best way that you can the best way that you can position yourself for receiving is by celebrating in somebody else's breakthrough as if it was your own. Thanksgiving is a significant key to increasing the kingdom. But sometimes we don't give thanks until we see our miracle. Now, it's a trick question. If your neck gets healed, when did you get healed? 2,000 years ago, right? So shouldn't we be giving thanks as if the miracles already happened? Okay, let's everyone just give thanks for their miracle. Okay, now test it out. You get an X-ray on Monday. Do you have increased mobility, or was was mobility a factor? Or? Is, do you have a scoliosis? Okay, I want you to open your Bible and read Isaiah forty verse four. You did bring your Bible, right? Open your Bible and read Isaiah forty verse four. That's your that's your word. Isaiah forty. Verse 4. Read, read it out loud so we can all hear it. Yeah, I don't know what version that is, but mine says this. The crooked ways shall be made straight. I don't know what version you're reading out of there. New King James says, the crooked ways. It's the what? Newly inspired. (laughs) (laughs) Nearly inspired, did you say? (laughs) The crooked ways shall be made straight. Father, we bless her for divine breakthrough upon that spine and upon that neck. And we declare that by the time that she wakes up, that that thing will be gone and there'll be complete wholeness in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Okay. If you came tonight, we're going to close in a minute. If you came tonight and you need a miracle in your body, I want you to stand. It doesn't matter what it is. I want to do one other thing. If, if you came tonight on behalf of someone, like you know someone that's at home, sick, mother, father, whatever, you know someone that needs a miracle that's not here, I want you to stand. 
is, is a reason. Do you know, this is, this is so cool. I, I never used to, people come to me, they, like they come to you and they're like, they ask for remote prayer for someone, right? And it's just, I don't know, maybe, maybe you don't do it, maybe it's just me, but sometimes I feel like it's like a token prayer. I'm just being honest, the confessions of a pastor. You know, it's like, I don't know that I really believe that, you know, like I'm elementary faith. You know, I want to I pray for the person. I want to see the person in front of me, you know? It's like, so I, I'm in a conference in Ohio and I call out, there's someone here that's got, you've had a, a, you got hit by a truck and you've got a torn muscle in your leg. And, and it's a man. Well, no man stands up, right? This lady stands up and she goes, it's my dad. And I'm like, is he here? And she goes, no, he's at home. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, well, we just believe for him, you know, it's the token thing, you know. Like, he doesn't know there's a healing meeting on. This is crazy. He doesn't know there's a healing meeting on, and he doesn't know his daughter's at the healing meeting. His daughter doesn't live in the same house, right? He doesn't know that I'm in town. He doesn't know there's a healing meeting on. He knows nothing. He's a renowned Bible teacher in Ohio. He got hit by a truck in Zimbabwe, he tore his calf muscle, he gets flown home, and on the way home he has a stroke. The doctor tells him he's going to have a three to four year rehab just to learn to walk again. He's lying in bed that night, and he goes to bed, asleep. He's asleep early. He goes to bed early. The daughter's at the healing meeting. I call out the word. She stands, and she says, yeah, that's my dad, and I kind of do the token thing. Okay, well, let's just believe, believe for him. You know, He starts to have a dream. He dreams is at my healing meeting. He dreams I call out the word, and he dreams that he stands up and says, that's me. He dreams he gets healed in the dream. And he wakes up in the morning, and he goes to get himself out of bed, and he reaches for his cane, and he hears the Lord say, you don't need that, you got healed last night in the healing meeting. Drops his cane, and he walks out of bed whole from the stroke and the torn calf muscle. So, his, his, daughter, his daughter emails me the next day and said, I got this really crazy testimony to tell you about my dad. And I'm, that's all she said, right? And I'm like, I'd love to hear the details. Send it through to me, right? I don't get the email, but then another friend in Ohio sends me a video clip. Like, I got this crazy testimony to tell you about a man that had a dream that he's at your healing meeting, right? I hadn't matched the two together, right? He sends me the video of, it's kicking around on the internet right, of the man who had the dream. It's like, my name is so-and-so, and I had this dream that I was at the healing meeting. Blah, 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 right? And it wasn't until the daughter phoned him the next morning and said, hey, Dad, I went to, uh, you know, how are you? And he goes, oh, you know, he said, I had this crazy experience last night. And she said, well, so did I. What was yours? And he said, I went to a healing meeting. And she said, well, that's where I was. And, the, the, and he said, and the preacher called out, there's someone here that was hit by a truck that had a calf muscle torn. And she goes, well, he did. And I was there and I stood for you. What, she, what he dreamt, she lived out in reality and he gets healed. I, I tell you, I, I got faith for remote healing. <laughs> That's why I've never, I don't know that I've ever gone after remote healing publicly. I have faith for remote healing because I know that God wants you healed more than, he, than you want to be healed. Right? If, you, if you're standing, would you raise one hand? Okay, I want you if, you're, if you're sitting, would you just would you just get out of your seat and go and stand next to someone that's got their hand up? I know we have more standing than sitting. I'm I'm aware. 
go and stand next to someone and just pull their hand down. Okay. Now, if you're standing, right, you are the body. If you're standing and you've got your hand up, I want you to quickly walk around the room, find someone you didn't come with, so two people with their hands up will partner up and pull each other's hand down, right? Someone you didn't come with. Just quickly go and grab someone. Okay. Okay, shh. Really quickly, just introduce each other. To introduce your name. Okay. Okay, look back up here. Shh. If you're both single and you're of the opposite sex, so want to do coffee later? Okay. I, I, now, I, I want to teach into this. You're going to ask them what they need. Right? Now, most of you are going to have to take turns because you're praying for each other. If you are the person in need, which you all are, but you're going to take turns, you're going to tell the person what you need. Right? Now, hear what I said? I didn't say, tell them how miserable you are. And I didn't say, tell them how long you've had it. And I didn't say, tell them how it happened. Right now, there's a reason. I hope you don't mind. I'm, like, I'm teaching you into this. This is the practicalities. We, we generally don't want healing. We want prayer. We actually don't want compassion. We want sympathy. How can I pray for you? Well, I hurt my arm. I was you know, fishing and a shark jumped up and bit it off and it got infected and it happened a few years ago and I'm missing an arm and I feel really miserable, I'm really miserable. It's like, what are we looking for? Sympathy. The answer's not in the problem, the answer's in Christ. And as someone receiving prayer, as if you're praying for someone, you actually need to be very careful because most people want sympathy. I hope you don't mind, I'm teaching into this. This is important. Most people actually want sympathy. And if you're going to listen to all their sympathy, they're going to pull you into their atmosphere, right? Which is, which is lack. Jesus never moved in sympathy, he moved in compassion. How do you know whether you're in sympathy or compassion is if the problem is larger than the answer. If their problem just becomes larger in your eyes than the answer, you're in sympathy. Right? Look, Hebrews 12.2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the perfecter of faith. What's our job? To look to Jesus. Notice it doesn't say look to the problem. All as we, we, all as we want to know is the bare minimum. We just want to know what you need. So we know how to pray. Okay, so you've already introduced each other, right? Find out what each other needs, right? Don't pray yet. Just find out what each other needs. 
Now, I want you to take turns, right? Who, just whoever's going to be first, right? You're going to turn to that person and you're going to say, and say, hey, is it okay that I put my hand on your affected body part? Now, if it's not appropriate, you're obviously not going to ask that, right? You're just going to put it on their shoulder, right? So ask them if it's okay if you can lay your hand on them. Before you pray, because healing is the, I believe healing is the secondary anointing of Jesus. Oh, I'm sorry, laying on our hands is the secondary anointing of Jesus. The primary anointing is oneness with the Father, which you are. I, I want you to like to see them as the Father sees them. Right? He doesn't see the missing leg. He sees the leg that's missing. He doesn't see the problem. He sees the answer. Right? Begin to see the answer over them. Now, don't pray. Just, just become aware of him the best you know how. Just become aware of how much the Father loves them. Become aware of how much you're at one with him. Separation is an illusion. If you want to contemplate in your heart, like John 15, I am the vine, you are the branch. Father, I thank you that I'm the branch. Now just pray for them. Short, sharp, powerful. Don't ask God to come and do it. He told you to do it. Now, if, if they're able to test it, ask them to test it. I know some of you are family and what have you. If they can test it, I want you to test it. How, how, how many of you just... How many of you know something's happened or happening? Right, raise your hand. I, I know a bunch of you have got family, right? Raise your hand, raise your hand. You know, okay, bless you, there, bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you, there, bless you, bless you, there, bless you, bless you, way at the back, bless you. Okay, pray again, right? It's okay, you're allowed to pray twice, Jesus did. Okay, don't pray harder, right? Just faith comes out of rest. It's got to come out of rest. Just, I don't know if you realize this. There's nowhere in Scripture Jesus asked the Father to come and do something. He, he didn't tell us to pray for the sick. He told us to heal the sick. If we have a job, which I guess most of us are employed, and you showed up to your job with the day off today, right? I think it was a Veterans Day we all had the day off. I don't know. Some of us. Not me. <laughs> If you have a job and you showed up to your job tomorrow and said to your boss, boss, can you do my job? You're not going to have a job for very long. Because we're asking him to do something that he told you to do. We need to know who we are. Now turn to the other person and minister to the other person. Do the same. Find out what they need. Okay, finish your prayer. Invite them to test it out. Often the miracle is just on the other side of inconvenience. Okay, if you know that, you, if you know that something's happened or happening in that second group, raise your hand. Keep it up, nice and high. Nice and high so we can see. Okay. Pray again. Turn to them and pray again. If they've already been completely healed, don't pray again, right? We don't want to mess it up, right? Just turn and pray again. Just pray with boldness, right? Just declare it over them. How, how many t tonight, right, in anything we prayed for, whether it be the smell, first, first group, second group, anything, how many of you tonight, you know something has happened or happening in your body? Raise your hand. 
Yeah, bless you, bless you, bless you. Yes, 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 there, 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 bless you. Can we just give them thanks? Now, now for those that have not been healed yet, right? I don't even like that language. We were at the cross, right? For those that haven't had their miracle manifested yet, the best way that you can receive is this. Don't walk out saying, guess it's not my time. I guess it's not, I guess I've got a lesson I've got to learn first. That's not the answer. The best way you can receive is walk out and give thanks for somebody else's breakthrough and stay connected to the source. And the best way you can stay connected to the source is thanksgiving. Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you that I'm in process. There's a lady a couple of years ago with bowel cancer. Prayed for it. Didn't feel a thing. She didn't feel a thing. She goes to a hotel, sits on the toilet before she went to bed, and it dropped out. Just like that. She bought me a photo the next day. I kid you not, it was, it was bad. She bought me a photo. The, the, late, the same night, a lady gets prayed for with, she goes, oh, I got a missing tooth, or I just want a tooth. Pray for it, nothing happens. She goes home and gives thanks for everybody else's miracle. She woke up with a brand new tooth. Brand new. She came in the next day, and she's like, look what happened overnight, I got a brand new tooth. So can we just give thanks one more time to Jesus?